Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Survivor fans, we are not just surviving, we are thriving with the power of nutrition. Let's talk about wonderful pistachios, a snack that's not only delicious, but also a protein powerhouse. When I was on that island, I would give anything for a snack to keep my energy levels up. Well, did you know wonderful pistachios are one of the highest protein nuts out there? Each one ounce serving gives you six grams of protein, delivering over 10% of your daily value. Whether you're a hardcore survivor or just need a boost during your day, wonderful pistachios are the perfect personal protein stash ready to go whenever hunger strikes. So whether you're cracking open each nut one by one or enjoying the convenience of no shells, wonderful pistachios has got you covered. Outwit, outplay, outsnack with wonderful pistachios. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Welcome to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. I'm Jeff Probst, the host and showrunner of Survivor. Each week, I'm joined by Jay Wolf, Survivor fan and the producer of this podcast. What's up, Jay? Hey, how's it going? As well as former Survivor player, Rick Devins. Hello, Rick. Hey, Jeff. And each week, we dissect the big moments of the most recent episode of Survivor, and we bring you the insight from the points of view of the fan in Jay, the player in Rick, and the producer in me. So let's get into it. Episode 6, Survivor 45. Which player do you want to highlight this week, Jay? How can you not say Caleb here? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) every vote at Tribal Council is for him. And he's still here. I think that says it all. <laughs> Wentworth flashbacks for sure. How about you, Devins? I love the Bruce drama. I've been following it very closely, but based on <laughs> the roller coaster of Tribal Council and how many times I was texting Jay going, oh my gosh, wait, what now? Uh, I got to go with Caleb. I love that you two, even though we're all three doing this show together, I love that you two will text as you're watching and comment on it. Yeah, it's really funny. It's like, you know, we're sitting on couches uh, a couple thousand miles away and shouting at the TV. (laughs) (laughs) And I just need to say again, another shout out to those great casting coaches for getting Caleb ready for us. I I really feel like we need to send him a case of champagne just to say thank you. And if you are listening to this and you think I'm being genuine, I'm not. All right, let's get into the big (laughs) moments of season 45, episode six. Jay, what stood out to you? Well, I think we got to start with the idol hunt at Lulu Beach. So pretty early on in the episode, Bruce 
and the rest of his tribe besides Katora go looking for an idol, and Bruce ends up finding a beware advantage. When I see beware at this point in time, I don't care. I don't. I'm just happy that I found, you know, potentially a hidden immunity idol. Jeff, is this what you expected from Bruce, from him in 44? Is this a different Bruce that we're seeing now in season 45? That's the question. Right? Because we didn't get to see much of him in 44. And what adds even more complexity to this situation is Bruce was never voted out. Mm -hmm. He went out in a dramatic, some would say even heroic way. So imagine if you're Bruce, you return home, you get only love, you did (laughs) nothing wrong, right? He gave 100%. He went so hard for his tribe that he got injured and had to be evacuated. Nobody ever cast a vote against him. Right. So, yeah, I mean, when he comes back as a returning player, I think in his mind, he's a bit of a survivor celebrity. And so then you wonder, how does that impact him? I will say this, though, in answer to your question about 44 versus 45, we absolutely did not see this level of confidence. And I know some would say it's bordering on arrogance the first time he played. (laughs) Katora definitely would. Right. I mean, and it's a, it's a tough word to use, but as you say, there are players in the game that are reflecting that idea as well. So my gut is this is Bruce 2.0. Mm-hmm. But for the other players, regardless if you're Katura and you're against him or you're Kelly and you might be reluctantly with him, Bruce is playing Survivor and he's playing hard and it's not going to be easy to get rid of him. Yeah, Rick, Jeff said something really interesting in there, which which was that Bruce has never seen his name written down on the parchment. So is that also sort of affecting this second time role of his? I think so. I think it's a very humbling experience to be voted out, especially since most of the time on Survivor, you don't see it coming. So you kind of second guess yourself. And having that knowledge as a second time player is something that you can really embrace. So I think Jeff touched on the fact that he is playing aggressive. He's taking control of the game and playing confidently like you would if you were a second-time player. But what he hasn't had is that ability to watch the show and see how other people were honestly reacting to him in the game, to his (laughs) personality, to his strategy. And for better or worse, not seeing how the audience or social media is reacting to that. And it's really, it's a great note, Devins, because that's one of the, I would say, issues you have to contend with with returning players is they are now trying to massage their personality to fit what they think social media wants. And Bruce is caught in between both worlds. The other thing that's going on there that I was curious about, Devins, with you is I mentioned it a a moment ago. Kelly, she's aligned with Bruce. And that alliance, as you know, is very important. If you have one person you can rely on, you could get to the end with that. But she doesn't like this anchor feeling that she has because she's seeing people like Katura that don't like Bruce. So what's your analysis in a situation like that? What should a player do or at least consider? Yeah, Kelly, in this situation, she's in a really interesting spot because when you're out there, you're always counting numbers. You want to stay on the right side of the numbers, but you want to be with people you can trust also. And I think that she feels like she can trust a Bruce, 
But that trust hasn't been proven through votes. They haven't been to tribal council. And she's someone who has a lot of options. So the fact that she hasn't voted means that she can still kind of veer in a different direction. Mm. So if you have a player, even if you've been working with them, if they all of a sudden have this stink on them, if they're a pariah, to use Bruce's words, you might not want to get that stink on you. And the fact that she hasn't had to declare a side gives her a lot of maneuverability to find another situation. So I think that if she finds numbers that don't include Bruce, it's a it's a very possible move to go ahead and make that jump. And it, it harkens back a little bit, Devin, to something you said, which I just want to say for future players, you talked about empathy. You can't have empathy out there to the degree that it impacts your game. So if even if it's tough for Kelly to move away from Bruce, if she thinks it's the right move, if you don't make that move, it will burn you in this game. I want to stay on the topic of alliances because Bruce got some help from another ally of his in a form I didn't expect coming from Jake inventing a story about losing his <laughs> ring out of thin air. Dude, I lost one of my rings, man. What? I lost one of my rings, bro. I give Caleb a wink right away. He knows what I'm doing. And then, you know, I give Bruce a wink right away. He knows what I'm doing. Dude, it's gotta, it's gotta be in here somewhere, dude. My ring is a decoy. <laughs> and we don't want to tell Katora because we've been trying to vote her out a little bit. And I gotta <laughs> put on the performance of a lifetime. Bro, dude. <laughs> Just, I said, love to listen to Jake talk. <laughs> Jeff, in casting and in prep, did you see something sneaky like this coming from someone like Jake? I love that you asked me that because I saw this question in your rundown. So I went and I pulled up my original casting notes from Jake. Ooh. So this is the first time nice. I talked to him just alone. This is Zoom one-on-one, -on -one, just the two of us. So here's what I wrote. At the very top, it says, love him. Then down below, it says he has empathy. Then a little further down, he said this thing. He said, people listen to the way I talk and my age, and they think I'm a dummy. Uh, that was the first insight I had that he understood the way other people saw him. It isn't necessarily the way he sees himself. But where mm. you hit on something is he said, I understand that the survivor ethical code is unique to each person. And the great players can move that line where they need it to be. And he gave the example of Tony and Trish. So I think right there, he's saying depending on what is happening, my line is not, you know, in concrete. I can erase the line in the mm. sand and make a new line in the sand. So I do think the pieces were there, but I never saw this kind of improv coming. And why I was really impressed with it is, A, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often because I would be that type of player that would try to create a diversion. But the other thing is it's just <laughs> tough to pull it off. I mean, you have to have the inspiration and it has to be believable. So in his mind, he's probably going, okay, Bruce is digging. Why would he be digging? What's our excuse? Oh, wait, I lost a ring. And then he makes a big deal about it, but he executed it really well. And the other really great smart move is it earns him a little bit of just a little something with Bruce. I helped you out, but it doesn't mm -hmm. commit him to anything with Bruce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rick, from a player's perspective, what's the level of risk in doing something like this? I think that there is definitely a level of risk. I actually also think there's a lot of unexplored opportunity with something like this, that players could really take situations like this and run with it if, if you know, if they're so inspired. But you do 
expose a certain level of your gameplay. Like, yes, Jake was trying to help out his tribe and he did help out his tribe. And it's a fun moment because so many people are in on this. But everyone other than Katora now can put in the back of their mind, like, wow, just like Jeff. I didn't know Jake had this in him. I didn't know that he could Mm -hmm. come out here and act and fool people. Right. And so he's working with these people right now. It's great. It's fun. But later on, they're going to be working against each other. And not only will they have that in the back of their mind, that might be something that they're able to use to convince someone that Jake's being dishonest. They can use it to their advantage. It's a really good point. So every time you make a move, you are revealing a part of your game. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting to keep in the back of your mind. It's like those winks that are so goofy and charming here could be a dagger later. All right. So this moment doesn't stop here because the next thing that happens is a real game changer in this idol hunt. Oh my gosh, it's a boat. And the thing that I wanted to point out here, first and foremost, was actually visually, you saw two boats coming in side by side to the beach that they're all collecting at. And I noticed that because having two boats side by side in the same frame is not easy to coordinate. Jeff, how did you make that work? (laughs) Well, I love when the producer part of you comes out and informs the fan part of you. But you're right. I mean, it is a tiny moment in the scheme of things, two boats arriving. But I like that you picked up on that the two boats arriving at the same time in the same frame is something that if it were a scripted show, you would do that shot six or seven times to get it just right. We have to do it in one shot. And it's just a great reminder that that means the Marine Department and the actual boat captains and then our drone operator, everybody has to be on the same page. And the the thing that makes Survivor fun from a production standpoint is imagine that you're doing those things all day. Mm. All day, you have these little tiny crisis moments that you have to get right. And in this case, there was also for the players a ticking clock, which was (laughs) 10 minutes. Rick, what is the process of gathering your stuff together like? Is 10 minutes enough? Oh, my goodness. You know, I can't speak for every survivor camp, but our camp was not tidy. I mean, you got some stuff hanging in trees right there, but the sun moves (laughs) during the day. So other things you have drying way down the beach, maybe your dishes are down by the beach. So you got to get all that. It's also valuable. You don't want to leave anything behind. Not to mention advantages. You might have buried places. Maybe there's fruit that hasn't been riped yet, right? You you were waiting for it to get ripe. Well, you're picking it now because you might not be coming back to this <laughs> island. And you don't know what you're going into. So, of course, you want to check in with your allies. You can't forget the social part of the game. This could be your last 10 minutes to check in with them privately for who knows how long. So it is a mad scramble. And you're not all on the same page. So I want to talk to you, but you're running down the beach to get your clothes. It's wild. Jeff, is that 10-minute timer a strict 10 minutes? Well, it is 10 minutes. It's not strict in the way that a challenge, if we say after 30 minutes, we move on, we have somebody with with a timer telling me it's 30 minutes. This is going to be 10 minutes. It could be 10 and a half minutes. It might even stretch to 11 minutes. Mm. But that's only because you're gathering 12 people or whatever, you know, and getting them on a boat. But to the essence of the question, no, you don't have an hour. (laughs) And like, Bruce, you know, you better get that idle quickly because otherwise the producer will say you got to get on the boat. And that means you got to get on the boat. And if you don't have your idle, you don't have your idle. Yeah, Jeff, I actually wanted to ask about that. 
if Bruce doesn't find the idol before he gets on the boat, what happens to his vote for the rest of the game? It's a good question. And our notes are pretty detailed. Sometimes it's the fine print. But in that case, on those beware advantages, at the very bottom, it says, if all tasks are not completed by the time the tribes are officially merged, your idol is dead and your vote is restored. So the player knows the situation. And what's specific about that language is officially merged. Because you're not officially merged when the boats show up and bring you to the same beach. You're in limbo. So it depends on which beach you're on if you would still have a chance to find it. In Bruce's case, he would not because he's not going back to his beach. So he would already know, I'm dead. This thing has no power. My vote is restored and that opportunity is gone. All right, the next moment is exactly that. It's that limbo. Everybody hits the beach together and all of a sudden we have 13 players in one place. Jeff, this is obviously hugely impactful from a game perspective, but to see all 13 castaways on one beach together is also a huge production lift. What does it take? Well, it's a big shift for us. This is the first time when we have the most crews we will ever have on one beach. So imagine mm. it's usually going to be six shooting and audio reality teams. You'll have two of our producers, the co-EPs. You'll have three segment producers which work with the co-EPs. And it's obviously just a lot more complicated and more complex because in a tribe of six, the most conversations you would have to follow would be three. Whereas with 12 or 13, you could have twice as many. And where it really gets fun and more difficult is that all these conversations are now related to each other in different ways. And as mm. Devin's knows, all the information is overlapping. So the players are constantly switching groups to try to verify or plant more seeds. And <laughs> there are alliances happening. There are lies to track. There are contradictory stories happening. And then on top of that, our interviews, which are essential to the show. And one of the things that really sets Survivor apart is how good they are. Those are more complex because you have one player, but you might have to talk to them about 12 other players. <laughs> so it's right. a big, big lift. But I have to say for all of us, it we get the same burst of energy that the players do because the game is now in another phase. Yeah, Rick, I have the same question for you, but from the player's perspective, how do you manage listening to seven conversations at once? Yeah, it, you know, it's kind of like a middle school dance. You're there, you're trying to feel everybody out. You're jealous that some people are getting all the attention. It's an individual <laughs> game now. I mean, it is a horse race, and you got to know who's going to try to take that inside track, who's waiting to make a burst at the end. You're feeling <laughs> everyone out. The people that you've been working with, you still have to feel out. Strangers you haven't even met yet, you have to feel out. Am I trying to get revenge on someone that I had a bad encounter with early in the game, like Bruce and Emily, or am I trying to mend that relationship? Uh, and, mm -hmm. and you're constantly, if you're in a group, right, if you have a numbers advantage, you got to hold that together. That's not easy. You got to make sure everyone feels like they're on the top, all while maintaining your spot at the top, hopefully. If you're an individual, if you don't have a lot of connections, this is your chance to make sure you're not left on the outside. Like, make sure people see that you're valuable. So it's it's a whole lot going on. And for the Survivor fan who's listening to this podcast, that is why that first, especially that first tribal council where everybody is there, even though 
from the outside, you may think you know there's an alliance of seven. The players don't know what to trust. So that first vote is mm. always very tension-filled because the players will often say, this is when we're going to find out tonight where our real alliances are. So those, those are big turning points. I want to focus on one player on the beach because I kind of just want to dig in a little deeper, Rick, to what you were saying about trying to track story and make sure that you're, you know, figuring out which horse is going to race in which lane. So let's talk about Caleb because Caleb is out there talking to everybody and making an impact with everybody and, you know, seemingly playing well in everybody. And spoiler alert, tonight, he gets every single vote from every person (laughs) on the beach. So give me your analysis of what his beach behavior was like. I think it's so obvious that Caleb is just this charismatic, terrifically social guy that everyone wants to be around. The problem is he's made himself such a big social threat. He's almost like a Jonathan in terms of a physical Mm. threat. Like Jonathan can't hide how big and imposing and amazingly athletic he is. Yes, everyone noticed Thor on the beach. Right, right. (laughs) And Caleb has this Thor larger than life social game going on. And it's almost like our discussion on loyalty. If you're loyal to everyone, are you loyal to anyone? If you're everyone's Mm. best friend, are you anyone's best friend? And I think a lot of people are looking at that. And then Bruce is trying to play the other, you know, that Boston Rob extreme of like, don't talk to anybody. That's way too extreme. Well, Caleb's the whole other direction. Whereas I'm talking to everyone and I'm not hiding it. And obviously it put a huge target on him. And I wanted to add a, a little moment this is a gold star for Katura. As Bruce is starting to realize, hey, why is nobody talking to me? She says something like, well, I don't know, but maybe your leadership can help. <laughs> and it's clearly a sarcastic comment. But what's great about it is Katura is aware enough to know there's a camera. We get it. We know you're kidding, but Bruce believes it. And so it really shows how difficult it is to play this game. Just that one moment. Bruce believes, oh, Katura doesn't even know I hate her. And she, she might think she's helping him. And Katura's like, you have no idea. I hate you. They're both playing a similar game on different sides of the fence. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I think we have to talk about the earn the merge challenge because physically it is a beast. And I want to know from Devons what it's like when you show up because you had one similar at Edge of Extinction. We'll be right back. Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast, quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. 
Listen, wearing the same clothes for 26 days straight on Survivor really made me realize the importance of buying high-quality, long-lasting clothes. That's why I love Quince. They have timeless, well-made pieces that last for years and don't go out of style. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. Buying pieces from Quince means that I don't have to keep buying new clothes every year which is better for my wallet and the environment. I recently got a super chic Italian leather tote from Quince and I'm loving how it looks. The best part about Quince is that by partnering directly with top factories, they're able to keep prices super affordable. I'm talking 50 to 80% cheaper than similar brands. And the other best part is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I love that. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com survivor for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash survivor to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com survivor. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. All right, Jay, from a fan point of view, give me your thoughts about the Earn the Merge challenge just from the scope of the challenge. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit in season one about the drone work on Survivor. It's worth going back and listening to the camera episode if you haven't heard it. But when you fly over a challenge like this, you get this perspective that is absolutely insane because you're looking down at this thing that feels like it lasts for a kilometer. And I wouldn't be surprised if it did. It's so large. (laughs) Yeah. And high. And high. And it has every single survivor element built into it. It's got sandbags. It's got carts. It's got (laughs) knots. It's got towers. It's got things you got to climb up, but there's no way to climb up. It's got two puzzles. Two. I think what I'm saying is... This challenge is obviously audacious and it's old school survivor and it's new school survivor all built into this one challenge. Mm. So let me turn it back on you, Jeff. This is clearly one of the set pieces of the season. How much time goes into it and how do you plan it from a production perspective and from a game design perspective? All right, we'll, we'll start with the production. From a production standpoint, Yes, this is our biggest challenge in terms of scope, the number of players, the degree of difficulty. And it's laid out on paper months ahead of time. And then it takes many weeks to build and paint and test and rehearse. And it's really important to us that the earn part of the challenge pays off. We want players' jaws to drop when they see what they have to take on. And the goal is not to overwhelm with intimidation, but to overwhelm with opportunity. You can do this, but it will take everything you have. Mm. From a game point of view, you're in limbo. You don't have a buff. You're not on a tribe. You haven't made the merge. You have to earn it with a group of players chosen randomly. And this connects back to every decision that has been made in the game so far about who to keep in your tribe. Because now some of those players that maybe you shouldn't have kept might be or what's helping or hurting you from getting to that next phase. The other part of the production design here is mud. Mud. (laughs) And I know that's a big part of Survivor. What's the mud about? Yeah, I love talking about this because the funny part of the mud is that we have to make it. And I'm so ignorant. I want mud. And I'll explain why in a moment because there's an emotional connection to where we are in the game. But the process for making mud, I thought was you put water in dirt, you had mud. And my, the, you know, Zach and Simo who run art department, they were like, oh, that's, that's so charming. Why don't you just go back to hosting? So we have a whole, they have a whole process and, and we do make the mud. I'm not kidding. And then we keep it 
We make this giant vat of mud. And then we have to decide when we're testing a challenge or rehearsing it with the cameras, should we use the mud today or should we just not have mud and save it? Because ultimately we want the mud to be great for the show. And I know this sounds ridiculous, (laughs) but I'll give you the foundational reason. For Mm. me, it's emotional. We typically have mud at the marooning and it's important to me because it signifies you have left your ordinary world. You're not in Kansas anymore. We want the players to feel the adventure on their skin with dried mud or wood shavings, whatever it is, it's symbolic. Same thing for Earn the Merge. This is another huge transition in the game because now you're going from tribe to individual, but you have to earn it. And when you win, and Devons, you speak to this because Jay, when you win, that mud is like war paint. And then you go to the Mm. sanctuary and you still have the mud on your face and we don't let you wash it off because that's part of being in this moment. So you have that great contrast of the beauty of the sanctuary and the dried mud of victory. And then on the flip (laughs) side, when you lose, that mud is like dried blood from the slaughter. Yeah, I can definitely say it's like you're carrying the shame of your loss back to camp with you. (laughs) Literally (laughs) trying to scrape that shame off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Rick, this is a huge challenge. Can you take me inside the process of what it's like as a player to be walked through this challenge when you're learning how to do it? Yeah, Jeff walks you through and he explains each part of the challenge because each individual part, you know, can be complicated. But you have so many thoughts racing through your head. (laughs) The stakes are so Mm. high. You know, I hope I get to use the bathroom before we start because I'm really nervous. Uh, You know, where can I wipe off the mud after that challenge? Because I have to tie knots on this challenge. And as you're thinking about this, Jeff is still walking through, still talking. Maybe you have questions. uh, You know, am I going to ask that though in front of these people? Because then they'll get the answer. That might be an advantage. I'll just go for it during the challenge and hope Jeff doesn't Mm. yell, Devins, you can't do that. I told you, get back. (laughs) Yeah. So it's very strategic as you're walking through and the whole time you have the weight of, I actually have to do this in just a few Mm -hmm. minutes and there's a lot on the line. Yeah, it's a very formalized process, Jay. We give them Mm -hmm. the explanation that you see on camera and then we break them into tribes and we take them privately so that each tribe can have its own strategy. I like that Devin says, if I can use the bathroom before, what he means is, can I go in the jungle and go to the bathroom? (laughs) There is no (laughs) facility there. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) And what I always am curious about, Jay, when I'm walking them through is I am explaining the challenge. And I have to say, some of these things are a little complicated and you basically get to look at it for about 30 seconds and then you have to do it. So it says a lot about the player's ability to grasp the concept quickly. But I'm also always watching in a group who is listening and who is already talking. And I say to them every Mm. time, you're going to have an instinct. You're going to want to start talking. Okay, you do the puzzle. I'll do the mud. I'm just telling you, you may miss something important. And if you do, that's on you. And yet every time when we walk them through, somebody will see the mud and they'll go, okay, listen, I'll do the mud. And I'm talking now about something about the mud that they miss and it later Uh comes back to haunt them. But it's in our nature because you're just so pumped up and there's so much excitement and you can't wait to get into it. But it requires you to be really calm, even though inside you're like the duck with your feet underwater, you know, you're just paddling. You have to be able to do both and able to successfully compete and navigate through something this big. And after all of the walkthrough is done, 
everybody ends up on that starting line and it's survivors ready, go. And the game is back on. And so from there, it's like a football game, right? It's happening. It's not going to stop. No. And Earn the Merge is no different than any other challenge in that sense. Every department who is involved in the challenge is there and their key people are on point. We treat every single event the same way, including a rock draw. I mean, there's a rock draw. Mm. We know the way we're going to go from left to right or right to left. We have cameras that are going to shoot all of that. We know the pace we want. We know I'm going to walk back and then we'll ask YouTube reveal. So every single thing we do, we're thought about it ahead of time. And then we just try to execute it. Same with her in the merge. Yeah. Not to keep talking about On Fire Season 1, but there's also an episode about challenges. And that's really, really interesting stuff. I think worth going back and listening to if you haven't heard it. Okay, the next moment is the merge feast that goes down at the sanctuary and only seven players get to go. And you're eating for potentially the first time in 12 days. So Rick, if you played again, is there anything you would do differently this time? I I think I see what you're getting at, Jay, which is something I hear from a lot of players, which is, why do they eat that much if they know they're going to get sick? You know, why are they (laughs) drinking out there if they know it might affect their game? And I think that that's a very reasonable place to come from, but you just don't understand the perspective of the players out there. This is not only the first substantial food they've had in 12 days. Think about that. You've been starving for Mm. almost two weeks. But on top of that, it's a taste of home. Like, this is what I've been missing. This is what I've been dreaming about at night. So it's easy to say, I'm going to pace myself. I'm not going to do this. Once you're in the situation, once you're around these new people, you're excited. It's just going in your body. It's nonstop. (laughs) And so would I do it differently? Maybe in theory, I would want to do it differently. Take it a little easy. I did pay consequences after my merge feast. Um, But I I don't (laughs) think I'd be able to control myself. Once, Once it's put in front of you, it's just you're living in that moment. And that is why only half the players get it and the other half don't because you have to earn everything in this new era. All right, when we come back, the biggest moment of the episode, I think one of the biggest moments of the new era, Caleb, Tribal, and the shot in the dark heard around the world. Be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Okay, it's one of the biggest moments of the new era. The shot in the dark at Tribal. But Jay, can we just play what Caleb said as he was leaving camp? It's one of the one of my favorite things he said all season. Absolutely. My life is completely on the line. We'll see what happens. It'll be okay. I have to hope that the numbers go my way. I need a group to work with. You can't run through this game by yourself like a vigilante. I'm not Batman, you know? I'm Caleb. I'm I'm the Canadian. <laughs> I don't know. He pretty much turned out to be Batman. I mean, Jeff, when you designed the shot in the dark, was that exactly what you had in mind? Jay, that's exactly it. As you imagine 
what's the best thing that could ever happen with this? And that is one player gets all the votes and then pulls out the safe and the game is flipped upside down. <laughs> and I, I remember when we were redesigning the game, we were during the pandemic and we weren't shooting. So we were working on the new era. And I had a note in my files about a wild card idea at Tribal Council, something that was always in play and could throw Tribal into chaos at any given moment. So I'm going to read you what my very first notes on this were. These are from my notes in August of 2020. It says, Tribal Council wild card, a way to make every Tribal unpredictable. Each player has the option to mutiny any time before the vote, but it comes with strong consequence. So that wasn't wow. exactly where it ended up going, but I kept imagining this bag. And I would always say to the team, I go, it's like a bag and you reach in it and whatever's in the bag changes the game. And then we finally got to this simple version where you can give up your vote in the game for a random shot at safety. Then we had to figure out what are the appropriate odds of grabbing something in the bag that would help you. And I called Ilan Lee from Exploding Kittens because he's so good with math. And we just kept looking at the numbers. Should it be one in eight? Should it be one in seven? And we landed at one in six independently. And we compared notes and said, okay, that seems good because one in six is not likely, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. And then just the rest of it is you do have to work through the creative beats of how best to execute that. So we landed on some really important things. It's secret. You don't tell the tribe. You do it when you go up to vote. And that creates this dilemma. If somebody in your alliance is concerned they're in trouble, they may decide to play the shot in the dark and not vote. And if they're wrong and you need their vote, that could mess up the game in the wrong way. Right. And then all the visual elements, the bag, the container that you drop your shot in the dark die, we talked about last season, how big is the shot in the dark die? How much does it weigh? All of that stuff comes together so that when Caleb goes up there, you see the parchment, you see the bag. He may have the shot in the dark die in his hand and you're wondering, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? We could show you or we could keep the mystery. Right. And in this case, you come down and you decide to keep the mystery. And Caleb says, I went for it and I hope I'm lucky. And if so, I'm buying a lottery ticket. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you should. So Caleb's obviously safe. Then all of a sudden, a live tribal ensues because they have to re-vote. Every single vote went for Caleb. Rick, is there any decorum to having a live tribal whatsoever? How do you play this if you're Emily or Jay? Live tribal, it's like an out-of-body experience. I mean, you have a pretty good idea of what's going on. And then Caleb goes full Wentworth. Does not count. Does not count. And all of a sudden, everything's possible. And you are just, you don't want to be left behind. And every step you take is more precarious than the last. It's like you see people talking. If I don't join that conversation, is that my life in the game? If I shove myself into that conversation, is that my life in the game? You know, is that enough right, to right. push them? And I know names just pop up because everyone all of a sudden is Sandra and just let it not be me. We're, we'll worry about long-term strategy tomorrow. Right. So the scramble is very real. But again, you're walking on eggshells because anything can put you in the spotlight at that moment. But like so many things, I think the most dangerous thing is doing nothing. You have to make sure that you're pushing the ball in the direction that you want it to go in. Yeah, and it's terrifying, I imagine, too. I know, Rick, we were texting about that next moment, too. <laughs> the next text I got from Rick after, oh my God, he's safe, was, 
oh no, Emily. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it could change on a dime. Right. The last thing I wanted to point out about this episode is Jeff. When you opened the shot in the Dark Scroll and you read the word safe, you had a completely straight face. No emotion whatsoever. <laughs> How did you do it? <laughs> hey, that's my job. All right, let's get to fan questions, Jay. What do you got? Okay, as a reminder, if you have a question for Jeff, you can email us at survivorshoutout at cbs.com and I'll read those questions, maybe even read them here. The first question comes from Katie and it's on the topic of Shot in the Dark, so I figured we'd ask it first. Is each player's Shot in the Dark only playable by them? Or can you give your Shot in the Dark to another player to use? Or could you use someone else's Shot in the Dark if you had held it for someone like Emily did with Sabaya? All right, you can give your Shot in the Dark to another player, absolutely and they can use it, but you can oh. only use one shot in the dark per tribal. So you will only ever have a, a one in six shot for any player at any given time. And I'm surprised this hasn't been used as currency more often. I mean, because the odds are so low, why not try to buy some trust when you're in trouble and, you know, give somebody your shot in the dark? Very interesting. And our second question comes from Troy. He says, hello, Jeff, Jay, and Devins. My question is, if someone found the beware advantage and shares the clue with another contestant and the other contestant goes on to find the idol without telling the person who originally found the beware advantage, mm. would that person get their vote back because the idol was found even though it wasn't by them? For example, Troy's really helping us out here, guys. He's painting a picture. <laughs> yeah, this is good. Jay finds and opens the beware advantage and loses his vote, then shares the clue with Devin's Devins then goes on and finds the idol and doesn't tell Jay, would Jay get his vote back? Yeah, that makes sense. It's a good question, Troy. And I love this kind of thinking because this is exactly what could happen out there. So let's go through it. Yes, once the idol was found, that part of the obligation of the beware advantage would be complete so the vote is restored. But the idol itself would belong to the other player who found it because the information was shared with them. If the other player who found it doesn't tell you and you don't know that they found it, you would find out when you went up to vote because you would expect mm. to see a, sorry, you cannot vote. And instead, you would have a piece of parchment there and that would be your only indicator. Oh man, okay, if I'm voting, mm. that means somebody found that idol. And then you'd have to be a detective and figure out who found it. Yeah, and you'd have to write down a vote that you weren't expecting to cast. <laughs> All right, question number three is from Megan. She writes, Hi, Jeff. Every episode of Survivor, we see you mainly at challenges and at Tribal Council, but what do you do with all your spare time? Are you prepping for the next challenge or are you just, you know, hanging out at the beach? Yeah, I get this question a lot. And it's a good question. Here's the thing. You would think that most of our time and energy during a season of Survivor is spent shooting the season of Survivor, but the truth is it's spent in prep every single day for what's coming next. So that means a lot of creative meetings. That might mean literally writing the idle note or a new clue. It means testing challenges. It also means rehearsing challenges when we have all of our cameras out there. And sometimes it means while we're shooting Survivor 45, we're already prepping Survivor 46. And the reason it's worth noting is that it's the prep time that allows all of our twists or the things like Sweat versus Savvy or Earn the Merge to work is that we spend a lot of time going through them beat by beat without the players to ensure that when the players do show up, we are ready. 
And I want to be clear, this is not complaining. This is the best part of the job. We love it. But I will say, when a season's over, we too are wiped. <laughs> and when you see us in the airport in Fiji after shooting two seasons back to back, it's such a crazy, weird, satisfying feeling that I think the player must have as well. There's this dual thing happening where you're exasperated and can't wait to get home, but you have this incredible sense of pride that you just did it again. All right, Jay, Devins, next week, episode seven, Survivor 45, where are we? I mean, the game is wide open. We have our merge tribe, and I'm excited to see how the factions form because I don't really believe that Bello and Reba can stay intact as tribes moving forward. I mean, I am waiting to be proven wrong, but... I'm excited to see how if Caleb can stay alive again. Yeah, totally different situation for Caleb. We've seen it a couple times this season already. Sometimes if you can make it through one tribal council, you can find your footing in the game. Yep. So I'm looking forward to see how it shakes out. All right, I have two things to say. Number one, the episodes just keep getting better. Next week is a blast if you're a Survivor fan and nerve-wracking chaos if you're a player. And number two... <laughs> I'm going to do something we have never done in the history of Survivor. I'm going to tell you something, a spoiler about the rest of the season. Wow, really? <laughs> what do you have for us? <laughs> there are no more quitters. Yes! <laughs> Woo! Good to hear. Good All to right. hear. That's it for this week's episode of On Fire. Thanks so much for listening. And please make sure that you rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a brand new episode of Survivor every Wednesday at 8, 7 central on CBS and Paramount Plus. And immediately following the episode, you get a brand new episode of On Fire. We'll see you next week. You can watch Survivor and more on Paramount Plus. Subscribe at ParamountPlus.com and use the code Survivor45 by December 20th, 2023 and get your first month of Paramount Plus on us. Must be age of majority to subscribe. U.S. only. Payment method required. Terms and conditions apply.